G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David Brown and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. This week's sermon comes from a series of sermons we're doing in Dolby called Dealing with Divisions. It looks at the divisions in the church in Corinth in the first four chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians. Today's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 10 to 18 which say, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you perfectly, you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Kephas. Still another I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So none of you can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the power of the cross be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, happy Australia Day, everyone. It's a joy to live in a country where we can worship Jesus freely. It's a joy to meet in a town filled with amazing Bible teaching, Jesus-focused churches working together to bless Dolby. And it's a joy to meet in a church which for over a hundred years has worked to bless all people of this great land by knowing Jesus and making him known. Last Sunday we began looking at 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that a pastor sent to Christians in a Greek city called Corinth. We saw how much love Pastor Paul has for these people, who he describes as saints. At the same time, we saw how the letter is designed to focus on Jesus and help us appreciate all Jesus has done for us. In many ways, the church in Corinth was going well. It was a young, diverse, and people were being baptized in it, growing the church. In today's passage, we discover, however, that not everything was hunky-dory in Corinth. Look with me at verse 11. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Paul has also received some troubling reports about the church he loves so dearly. There are quarrels, and the next four chapters will focus on quarrels around leadership. It's convenient that we're talking about this today, because while Australia is awesome, Divisions in leadership and identity politics are rife in Australia at the moment. Whether it's ScoMo versus Albo, country versus city, conservatives versus progressives, workers versus the unemployed, religious people versus gay people, black versus white, men versus women, and so on. The rifts in Australia are deep and seem to be getting wider. Sadly, Australia Day isn't immune to these divisions. Many feel that to celebrate the day when English colonists landed in Australia and claimed the land for Britain as terra nullis, unoccupied land, should be called Invasion Day. While I hear this argument, I feel that this day should be an opportunity to celebrate all that's wonderful about Australia and give thanks 
for all that's good about this country, whilst recognizing that we have a history of good and evil, of sin and of God's incredible grace. So you can see how the problems the Corinthians were facing aren't yesterday's problems. Divisions are nothing new. They're a reality of our fallen world. From the beginning of the Bible, we see Satan working to drive a wedge between people and between people and God. On the other hand, God is all about unity, community and relationship. This is why Jesus has good news for Australia. And our passage today highlights this. Jesus brings unity, Jesus brings new life, and Jesus brings power in weakness. So first off, Jesus brings unity. In verses 10 to 13 of 1 Corinthians 1, we read, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. <coughs> another, I follow Kephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Paul spent about 18 months in Corinth talking about Jesus' life, death and resurrection, building up the church there. He debated people, upset some, and discipled others who became Christians. Then he left. He left to go tell other people about Jesus, but he didn't forget the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was written from Ephesus, another port about 600 kilometers across the sea. The two ports had ships coming and going regularly between them, and it seems people from Chloe's household have brought back news that divisions are happening. So who was Chloe? Well, we can't know for certain, as this is the only time she's mentioned in the Bible. But it seems Chloe was a Christian, as often whole households became Christians together. She is also the leader of this household, as it's named after her. She probably supported Paul financially in his ministry, as did her people. It's here we get an important snapshot of what the first church was like. At the time, religion was divisive. Rich people had their gods, poor people had theirs. Women had their shrines, men had their temples, and even country people and city people worshipped differently. For many in the first century, Christianity was a stupid religion, precisely because it brought people together. Christianity attracted rich people and poor. That was dumb. Who would control the plebs if the rich were friends with them? Christianity attracted women as well as men. That sounds really salacious. What could they be doing in the churches? Christianity attracted country people as well as city people and brought them together. Farmers and townies sitting together and singing praises to God. This was a humiliating and ridiculous religion, but people flocked to it. Sadly, this harmony is being challenged as the culture begins to creep into the church in Corinth. Paul names four factions gaining steam at the time. First, there is the poor camp. Some say they follow Paul, and this should be what Paul wants, right? Wrong. Paul wants people to follow Jesus. Yes, Paul was one of the first people to preach the gospel in Corinth, and yes, his authority should matter. But Paul wants to make disciples of Jesus, not of himself. The fact that people are saying that they are Paul followers is a worry. The second mob we learn about are those who follow Apollos. 
Apollos was an Egyptian Jew who knew his Bible back to front. He'd become a Christian and began preaching vigorously about Jesus. After Paul's time in Corinth, Apollos came to the city and began preaching there. It seems some had decided they liked Apollos' preaching better. Perhaps he was smoother or told better stories or was better looking. What is clear is that some people say they follow Apollos over others, and this is creating division. The third mob are the Kephas people. Kephas is the Jewish name of Simon Peter, one of Jesus' closest companions. We don't know whether Peter ever went to Corinth, but it seems he has a following there. Paul wasn't one of Jesus' original twelve disciples, and Jesus had told Peter personally that he would build his church. Sadly, fans of Peter are dividing the church, setting themselves apart from everyone else. The final group are the Jesus people. Now you might be thinking, yeah, this is me, this is the right group. All Christians should be able to say, I follow Jesus. But once again, the I follow Jesus people are tearing the church apart rather than healing division. Perhaps they are denying Paul's authority and saying, we follow Jesus and no one else. Perhaps they feel they have the authority to decide what Jesus did and didn't teach. Ultimately, they're creating division. By claiming to follow one patron, some Corinthians are distancing themselves from other Christians. On the night Jesus was betrayed, at his last supper, he prayed to God that his followers would be one, as he is one and mind with God the Father. Keep in mind that unity doesn't mean uniformity. Jesus wasn't praying that all Christians be the same and deny our God-given diversity. The passage is not saying that Christians should eat the same food, do the same jobs, and think identical thoughts. The passage is talking about coming together in one mind and purpose. Jesus brings different people from different cultures and backgrounds together. If there's something we need in Australia at the moment, it's more unity, not less. We live in a culture that is growing ever more individualistic. The gospel calls us back to break down divisions and be peacemakers where we are. While the Corinthians are quarreling and saying, I am against you because I follow, here we're being called to say, I am for you because I follow Jesus. Jesus brings unity and Jesus brings new life. He calls us into a new way of living. Sadly, the symbol of new life that Christianity brought to Corinth was also being used for division. Look with me at verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Baptism was a big deal for the first Corinthians. Those wanting to be baptized would commit themselves to study a process called catechesis for three years. They'd learn songs, statements of faith, passages from the Bible and stories about Jesus. When ready, they would come to a river or a baptismal pool. They would strip off their old clothes and their clothes would be burned. And someone from the church would plunge them into the water saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' words from Matthew 28. This is why people were starting to claim that they were better because a famous leader had baptized them. Perhaps they were saying things like, I had John's baptism, and who were you baptized by? Oh, oh, only by Paul. 
Well, that's all right. I'm sure he didn't miss too much. At this point, Paul rejoices that he only baptized two people, so no one can use him as a cause for division. Verse 16, which is in brackets, is interesting, because someone, perhaps someone who read the first letter draft of this letter, seems to have jogged Paul's memory and reminded him that he did baptize the household of Stephanus. Paul isn't taking baptism lightly here. Instead, he's emphasizing what matters is who you were baptized for, not who baptized you. Baptism unites all Christians, as we are all baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We serve a God who is three in one, a triune God. After this sermon, we'll say the Nicene Creed, which draws out what it means to be baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We serve God our Father, the maker of heaven and earth. The Father gives us life and rescues us out of division and sin and into unity with him. The Father does this through the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus has always existed, but he came down to earth from heaven 2,000 years ago to live as one of us, showing us how to live, dying among his people, dying in our place to pay for our sin. Jesus made us holy and made a way for the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and remain in us. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He helps us to follow God and live out our calling to love God with all our hearts and our neighbours as ourselves. I don't know who baptised me, but I know the one whose name I was baptised into and the new life that came through my baptism. It's here where the gospel has so much to offer Australia. In so many ways, we are a culture that is terrified of dying, but many of us hate life at the same time. We pour billions of dollars into medical treatments to keep us looking young and healthy. But at the same time, increasing numbers of Australians are overweight, anxious and depressed. We're wealthier and more educated than ever before. Life expectancy in Australia in 1920 was 61. Today it's 82. We should be happier and life should be better, but life satisfaction isn't going up. A study done by Swinburne Uni in 2018 found that one in four Australians are lonely. We're more connected than ever before, but sadly the report stated that loneliness is a growing concern. Individualism is a priority in our culture, but it's driving us apart. Individualism infects Corinth too. The Corinthians were importing the culture around them into the church and it was creating breakdown. Paul is attacking this attitude towards baptism because it's supposed to be about unity with Jesus and the new life he brings. Many Australians have been baptised, but many miss its significance because they don't take hold of the new life with God we enter into through baptism. This is why this year I'm going to be encouraging families who want their children baptised at our church to be baptised in our Sunday services. Services will be longer and families may not instantly join our church. But I do want to let people know what life at St. John's and St. Margaret's really looks like. The newness of life found in baptism. Connection with God and connection with God's people, the church. Jesus brings new life and he does so through the power of weakness. The final two verses of our passage highlight a theme all throughout 1 Corinthians. Power through weakness. As we saw last week, in Corinth, much like in Australia today, people were chasing power any way they could get it. 
It's a miracle that the church grew in this environment because the message of Jesus is totally different. Missionaries came to Corinth and told them about a homeless preacher who underwent a humiliating fall from grace and was killed in the most shameful way, crucifixion. Other leaders had met similar fates. All are forgotten except Jesus. Jesus preached unity in the face of division. Jesus preached life and hope when death and fear reigned. While Jesus claimed to be the son of the almighty God, he hung out with the weak, the sinful and the poor and encouraged others to do the same. When a mob of fanatics came to arrest him, Jesus refused to fight them and went with them instead. This is why we read in verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the power of the cross be emptied, lest the cross be emptied of its power. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul is saying, I didn't come to do flashy baptisms or woo you with fancy words to convey my message. He won't lean on those things in order to get the gospel in cross. Instead, he tells the truth. Oftentimes, when Paul goes into a town to preach the gospel, he's mocked, beaten, and arrested. In Corinth, many people rejected his message as foolishness nonsense. Why would God send his son to die on a cross like a thief? But some saw in the cross something powerful. The idea that God would come down in humility and live among his people. The idea that the God of the universe cares so much about us that he would be happy to eat, speak, listen, touch and wash the feet of ordinary people like you and me is astounding. While the world looks for heroes who can lift cars, beat up bad guys and save the day through wisdom, power and rock hard abs, Jesus saves by making himself vulnerable and obedient to death, even death on a cross, and he rises triumphantly from the grave. This is why Paul cares so much throughout this passage that the power of weakness is shown. The people shouldn't be looking to attach themselves with powerful leaders. They shouldn't be using the name of the person who baptized them as some sort of trump card to make them look and feel special. Here we're being drawn back to Jesus, the almighty God who came to us as a vulnerable baby so he could show us true power. True power comes through weakness. True power comes through love. Jesus doesn't hassle us into following him. He doesn't force us to love him. Instead, he loves us and leaves the ball in our court. Jesus, in many ways, is the anti-hero, the underdog. And you know how much Aussies love to back an underdog. The message of the cross is foolishness for people who are up themselves. But that's a good thing. For those who are prepared to humble themselves, to entertain the idea, the hope, the reality that there is a God, the cross has the power to save. In an article for the Canberra Times recently, a journalist, Michael Bones, who isn't a Christian, wrote about the power of what we're doing here today. Bones writes, Every weekend, about one and a half million of our neighbours quietly come together. They gather in suburbs all across the country, black and white, old and young, rich and poor, in a radical political incubator called the church. Church is often belonging and meaning. They have teams whose job it is to welcome and befriend new people every weekend. They have incredibly incredible sound systems and talented rock bands that perform every weekend. 
They make thinking philosophically fun every weekend. They encourage you to explore your life's purpose every weekend. While Bones doesn't support what we're doing here today, he is humble enough to see its power. Christians make lots of mistakes, me included. But Jesus' church is still the most powerful force for good in Australia today. So friends, as we continue our journey in 1 Corinthians, let's rejoice that Jesus is good news for Australia. Let's pray for unity and not let the divisions of our culture infect God's church. Let's see that and embrace the new life found in Jesus, living into our baptismal vows to love and serve the Lord and love our neighbours as ourselves. Finally, let's embrace the power of God found in weakness. Let's humble ourselves daily, recognising that if our God came to serve and lay down his life for others, then we should too. Jesus is good news for Australia, and that's something worth celebrating. Please pray with me. Loving Lord God, thank you so much that Jesus is good news for Australia. Please help us to see that in Jesus there is unity, in Jesus there is new life, and in Jesus there is hope for all. Please, Lord, help us to experience your power and weakness and to live, to love you, and to serve our neighbours. Amen.